millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This election year has been unpredictable. It can be hard to keep track of what's true and what's not. But NPR's election team wades through it all so you don't have to. Be informed. Listen to this station every day. Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, as the November 8th Election Day approaches, voters in the central part of the state have a choice for state Supreme Court judge. Then, the psychological effects of body shaming in today's social media-driven culture. Well, I I think we're certainly seeing an increase in it um, as a larger percentage of the population has obesity. And as we see uh, the proliferation of social media, there certainly seems to be an uptick in the amount of fat shaming, as as you might call it. And a 50-year desegregation case is still alive in Cleveland. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippians living in the central part of the state will head to the polls next month to decide who should serve on the state Supreme Court. Incumbent Jim Kitchens or his challenger, Court of Appeals Judge Kenny Griffiths. The two candidates presented their cases at the Senate's Capitol Press Luncheon in Jackson yesterday. Griffiths has served on the state Court of Appeals for almost 15 years. He says accountability is needed on the court. I think this is an important opportunity for me, so I want to talk to you about several things. But first, I think if you've seen the ads, you know something about me, that that my parents ran the Masonic Home for Children in Meridian. And I really did grow up with 60 brothers and sisters. But they also taught me two big lessons. One was that we're all different, but we have to play by the same rules. And the second was that we have a responsibility for service. And I believe my talents are in the role as an appellate judge, and I've chosen to dedicate most of my career, in fact, the rest of my career, to serving Mississippians as an appellate judge. I believe it's important that we restore confidence in our courts and that we do that by making decisions based on the rule of law. My opponent and I have a number of opinions, by my count over 10,000, You'll see that through these opinions, I believe that my opponent in the last eight years has aggressively attempted to change criminal laws in this state and expand civil liability. I don't think judges should legislate from the bench. I think the future of our courts needs someone who will follow the law, who will make our courts accountable and transparent and bring innovation and reform to the judicial system. And that's going to take a lot of work. And that's really why I'm asking for the job, because I have that calling and I have the proven experience. I believe five things that we need, accountability, integrity, transparency, consistency, and innovation. That's the future of our courts. Let's look at some of the recent headlines. 
Just this week, there's a report about a federal judge that had two cases reassigned from him. The Fifth Circuit took that action because they decided the motions had languished too long. Court statistics reveal that the judge had over 100 outstanding motions. The next closest was nine. The other judges knew the report was coming, and they were accountable, and they got their work done. That's accountability, and there's no reason we can't have accountability in our courts. Court of Appeals Judge Kenny Griffiths at the Senate's Capitol Press Luncheon in Jackson yesterday. Incumbent Jim Kitchens says his quiet demeanor has served him well as a Supreme Court judge, and he wants to keep serving. You haven't heard much out of me in the last eight years, and I guess that's a good thing. I haven't been involved in any scandal. I haven't stolen any money. I haven't run off with anybody's wife or anything. So I've been kind of a low-key fellow, which I think is what the Supreme Court is supposed to be. Uh, I have uh, worked hard. I've done my work. I've been current with my work. And I think I have uh, been a good member of the court, and I think my colleagues would tell you that same thing on the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is our state's court of last resort. It is the highest court in our state court system. It is of vital importance to the people of our state. When Justice Scalia was here in Jackson a few years ago for the dedication of our courthouse, which is, was not brand new then, but it hadn't, it, they completed it really after I got to the court. They were still working on it, but we were using it. Justice Scalia told the public at the dedication of that courthouse that what the Mississippi Supreme Court does is more important and more significant in the lives of Mississippians than what the United States Supreme Court does. And he's right. The Supreme Court of Mississippi is the nerve center of our legal system. It's the hub of the wheel. That courthouse up there on High Street is the only courthouse that serves the whole state of Mississippi. And it houses two courts, the Court of Appeals and the Supreme Court. So we know when we decide cases, I know when I decide cases, that what I am doing is going to probably establish some kind of precedent. And we do uh, adhere to precedent, as, as we should as an appellate court. So I'm very careful about what I do. We hear every kind of case. Everything that goes on in your circuit courts, your county courts, your chancery courts, makes its way to the Supreme Court in the form of appeals. So it's a, it's a court that's important to the people. And they are the same kinds of people that I represented in my law practice. I didn't have a big corporate practice. Uh, I, I'm not knocking those who do. That's a very fine kind of law practice to have. But that wasn't Jim Kitchen's kind of law practice. I represented Mississippi families with whatever legal problems they might have. Every family has legal issues of various kinds, whether it's something as simple as a deed or a will or something much more serious. And that's the kind of law practice I had for the 32 years that I was not district attorney. State Supreme Court Judge Jim Kitchens at the Stennis Capitol Press Luncheon in Jackson yesterday. Kitchens is facing State Appeals Court Judge Kenny Griffiths in the November 8th election for State Supreme Court. Up next, the psychological effects of body shaming in today's social media-driven culture. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
Sharon Horgan does not want to get divorced, especially after writing about it for her new TV show. I don't think anyone watching our show will think, I should give that a go. (laughs) The divorce rates in the States are going to go down after this. I hope so. Wouldn't that be lovely? I'm Kelly McEvers. Sharon Horgan on exploring the end of a relationship for her new HBO series, Divorce. That's later on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. This election year has been unpredictable, and it can be hard to keep track of what's true or not. But NPR's election team wades through it all, so you don't have to. Be informed. Listen to this station every day. Coming up this week on MPB's At Issue, Cleveland School Desegregation. People in charge don't want to see their difference. It's a federal court case going back 50 years. Separate will never be equal. There's a plan to consolidate schools. We think we've done everything we can do. But not everyone likes the idea. If you would leave those children alone, it'd work itself out. We take a closer look at Cleveland school desegregation on At Issue. Tonight at 7.30 on MPB-TV. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The debate continues in the wake of the first presidential debate around body shaming. This practice of ridiculing people over their weight or body type surfaced around Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump's critique of a former beauty pageant contestant. Americans and Mississippians who suffer from obesity know this world well. We spoke with Dr. Daniel Williams, a psychologist at University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson. He tells us shaming over body type takes a heavy toll on the victim. Obesity is a very complex problem, and clearly it goes well beyond a choice or a, a, a matter of willpower for somebody. We do want to talk about fat shaming. That seems to be the expression, yes, uh-huh. and that has come up during this presidential campaign. It comes up among peers. It comes up on social media in bullying situations. Is this a new phenomenon, this fat shaming Well, I I think we're certainly seeing an increase in it um, as a larger percentage of the population uh, has obesity. And as we see uh, the proliferation of social media, there certainly seems to be an uptick in the amount of fat shaming, as uh, as you might call it. But it appears to be something that has existed for a long time and that a bias against people who are overweight or have obesity is probably not a new phenomenon in and of itself. What are some of those biases? Uh, Well, uh, research shows that a lot of people who are overweight or have obesity feel like they are treated negatively, that they are shamed, that people uh, treat them uh, in a negative way, that they make negative comments about them, that they uh, overlook them for opportunities, and that they're not on an even playing field with people who don't have obesity. Uh, And if someone is not chosen for a job because they're obese or, as you said, overlooked for, for different opportunities... Might that be because the person that makes those decisions sees that obese person and says, well, if they can't lose the weight, then I can't rely on them to do this or that? Well, I'm not sure I can speak to the motivations of individuals, but I think what's clear is that often we're not totally aware of the biases that we have and that we can treat people in a way without totally being aware of the reasons for which we are treating them that way. What about in society on magazine covers, when you see body images that are really unrealistic, does that play into this fat shaming or, or making girls and women think they have to look 
a specific way that may be an unattainable goal? I think there's no doubt that there are a set of cultural expectations for girls and women that are unattainable and unrealistic and uh, are unhealthy uh, for their own body image and expectations for themselves. Do you think fat shaming, making a woman feel guilty because she's overweight or obese is a motivation for her to lose weight? Absolutely not. The research is crystal clear on this, that fat shaming decreases somebody's motivation to lose weight, that it actually, uh, that people who are fat shamed increase their caloric intake after being fat shamed. Why? Because it's it upsets them and so they want to find comfort? There seems to be a correlation with some, some emotional um, comfort with, uh, with eating, but the research is really crystal clear that they consume more calories that they lose motivation and interest and a sense of confidence that they can engage in physical activity and lose weight. And most disturbingly, that these individuals are at much higher risk to develop obesity over time. Are you suggesting that a woman might not go to the gym to work out because compared to the other women there, she may feel out of place? Uh, Individuals who feel like they're stigmatized because of their weight certainly, the research shows, engage in less physical activity as a result of it and lose motivation to engage in those activities. What are things that would motivate a woman to lose weight? Well, the research shows that positive media campaigns can be very helpful, ones that focus less on aspects of obesity and weight and focus more on healthy behaviors. For example, Michelle Obama's Um, campaign, her health-related campaign, is a very good example of this. It focuses on eating healthy and on moving, and it applies to everybody that we should all do more of that. The research shows that campaigns like that are much more likely to be receptive to individuals who are overweight or who have obesity. What would you say to, since we now found from you that fat shaming doesn't help, it actually hurts, how do you think we curb this problem? Is there a way to address it that would that would get rid of it or at least slow down fat shaming? Well, I'm not aware of any research that has really looked at any interventions to reduce or stop fat shaming. There certainly have been a lot of efforts as a society to decrease bullying and to uh, decrease other forms of mistreatment of individuals uh, for which society often has bias. And I think the more that we can raise awareness that this is a real issue, that when we fat shame somebody, that we are causing them significant psychological problems, that we're setting them up for increased risk of depression, anxiety, eating disorders, body image problems, lower self-esteem. We know that people who have obesity are at a much higher risk for suicide. These are really, really serious consequences of fat shaming. And as a society, we have a real obligation to address this and be much more thoughtful about this. And to monitor our own behavior and to be modeling for our children and our community appropriate, welcoming, inviting, loving behavior towards all members of our community. Dr. Daniel Williams is the director of the Psychology Training Consortium and associate professor at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Dr. Williams, thank you very much. Thank you. Up next, a 50-year desegregation case is still alive in Cleveland. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
Hi, I'm Dr. Michelle Owens. I'm Dr. Allie Brown. Join us on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio, where we talk about issues related to health from a woman's perspective. Listen to us on Southern Remedy for Women on Fridays on MPB from 11 to 12. You don't have to be a woman to call in. So we'd love to hear from you. It's the show for women and the people who love them. Listen to us this morning. We'll be taking your calls to answer all your health questions. It's Southern Remedy for Women. This morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. It's 90 minutes that could define the next four years. Telling the enemy everything you, know you want you to do. You in your own reality. I don't believe that Hillary has the yeah, stamina. This evening, I'm going to be blamed for everything that's ever happened. Why not? Clinton and Why Trump not? face off once again. NPR will be there Sunday as the candidates answer questions from voters. I'm Robert Siegel. Join me for coverage of the second presidential debate and live fact-checking from NPR News. Sunday at 8 on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. U.S. District Court Judge Deborah M. Brown has ordered the desegregation of middle and high school programs in the Cleveland Public School District. The case goes back 50 years. Judge Brown ruled the district must consolidate mostly black D.M. Smith Middle School with historically white Margaret Green Junior High School. It must also consolidate the mostly black Eastside High School with the historically white Cleveland High School. But not everyone likes the idea of further desegregation, and the school board has voted to appeal the judge's decision. Tonight's episode of At Issue on MPB TV takes a look at the Cleveland situation. In a clip from tonight's show, James Stamps talks about conditions at Cleveland's mostly black high school, Eastside High, over the years. Stamps was band director there. He says the conditions due to underfunding made it hard to do the job. I enjoyed the job, but the conditions weren't favorable for what I was attempting to do. When I started work, I worked in the dressing room under the bleachers in the gym for many years. Then I was moved to the stage in the gym for band classes. During that period of time, a band room was built, I've forgotten the year, but at Cleveland High. A band room which uh, the facility contained uh, office space, uniform storage space, dressing rooms, practice rooms, and what have you. Normally, a band room would have, and restrooms, air-conditioned. At the same time, <laughs> a year later, four walls were put up at each side for a bath- band room. Just four walls now. <laughs> Uh, no restrooms, no office space, no practice room, and that still exists. But through the course of the years of working, I did get uh, air conditioned and uh, restrooms installed. But for many years, I worked without that. When it came to getting equipment, uh, at that time, there was a army surplus in Jackson. <laughs> Uh, when I would ask for equipment, the superintendent would make a trip down and come back with a load of junk, <laughs> you know, from the uh, surplus. And at the same time, they were getting new equipment and supplies at the other school. My thing is that one school would 
probably in, improve the whole, you know, makeup of the community. That was James Stamps, former band director at Eastside High in Cleveland on conditions at the predominantly black school over the years. Jamie Jacks is attorney for the Cleveland School District. She says the school board has complied with previous court orders and is proud of the way the school district is integrated now. Well, the board is appealing the ruling. Uh, the board's official position is and has been that it believes it's doing everything that it was supposed to do under the previous consent orders that the district has been under since 1969, 1970 was the last major order. So the board's position has been that we think we've done really everything we can do. We think we have an integrated school district. We're proud of the level of integration that we have, and we would urge uh, anyone who thinks otherwise to look around at the different districts surrounding us and see that there's absolutely no integration going on at those other districts. We have a district where you can choose where you want to go to school, and in 2016, the board believes that that's a, a constitutional setup for a school district, for any school district, not just ours. From a uh, structural, financial, uh, if you look at it from the surface uh, sort of analysis, yes, the judge's ruling is feasible in terms of time and money. What the district has always been wary of is that We've had this system of choice for the last you know, 40 plus years. It's worked well for our district in terms of maintaining diversity. So where perhaps it doesn't look realistic to the district is when you start forcing people um, to make school choices that they didn't necessarily want to make. The statistics tell us, history tells us that you, you will lose your population. Um, not just a white population, but a, a all over population. And you only have to look to districts in Clarksdale and Greenville and Greenwood to see the results of what are called mandatory reassignment plans. The appeal will be based on the fact that open enrollment, or what Judge Davidson, our previous judge, called true freedom of choice, that that is a constitutional plan in 2016. Um, that is the sum of our appeal, that if you say to a group of American citizens, uh, you may choose whichever school you want to go to, and here's two high schools and here's two junior highs, that that is a constitutional concept in 2016. Um, it's, a, it's a question that the United States Supreme Court has not uh, really taken up in a long time. Freedom of choice plans were uh, not accepted back in the late 60s because they weren't doing much in terms of changing things within school districts. But our argument on appeal will be, this is not 1969 anymore, it's 2016. And a lot of the impediments that were perhaps there in 1969 or in the 60s or 70s simply aren't there anymore. Um, there was a lot of uh, hate still going on, uh, not just in Mississippi, but in other places, and a lot of uncomfortableness. Um, but we believe, as a district, true freedom of choice can work in our district, um, not just our district, but any district. The Cleveland School District, like many other districts, had what was called a de jure system, a de jure system, which was, unfortunately and tragically, by law, we had a dual school system. And it wasn't just Cleveland, it was every uh, school district across the South and some in the North. Um, so yes, there were absolute problems back in the 60s that uh, rightfully the court system fixed. Um, 
many districts are still working through, you know, some of those issues. And obviously we're here today because the Department of Justice thinks we didn't go far enough. Um, but we think that in Cleveland we have a success. We have a success story here. And I'm proud to represent our district in this case. Um, and the board is, is happy to appeal it uh, because it believes that we haven't done wrong, but we've done something very right here. That was Jamie Jacks, attorney for the Cleveland School District on integration in the district and a federal judge's order for more integration. You can watch the entire At Issue episode tonight at 730 on MPB TV. On yesterday's program, one of our guests incorrectly stated Mississippians can register to vote online. To clear up any confusion, it is not possible to register online for the first time. But Mississippians who are already registered can go online to change certain voter registration. The address is sos.ms.gov. On Monday's show, we'll have political analysts Austin Barber and Brandon Jones breaking down the next presidential debate, which is Sunday night in St. Louis. Coming up after Mississippi edition, it's Gestalt Gardner. Next stop, Mississippi and Southern Remedy. And remember, if you want to catch the show outside the broadcast, just search for Mississippi edition in your favorite podcasting app and listen whenever you like. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again Monday morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio. for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. It's Marketplace Tech for...